All right, this morning, looking at Matthew, or not Matthew, Luke, Luke, the 16th chapter, uh, a real interesting um, parable that Jesus told his disciples. This, this story actually confuses people sometimes because they're thinking, what, what is he saying here? Because it, at first glance, it seems a little odd. But uh, we're going to take a look at it this morning. He starts in Luke, the 16th chapter, verse 1, and Jesus says this. He, he says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in, called the manager in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Well, the manager said to himself, good grief, what am I going to do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm too ashamed to beg. He said, I know what I'll do. Uh, When I lose my job here, so that people will welcome me into their houses. So he gets this plan together. So this is what he does. Uh, he says, so he called in each of his master's debtors and he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? Guy says, 800 gallons of olive oil. Well, the manager tells him, well, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. All right. Basically ripping off his uh, employer. Uh, then he asked the second one, how much do you owe? And he says, a thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, well, he told him, well, take your bill and make it 800. And then the master, you would think when he found out about this, you think he'd be torqued, right? you think he'd be really fried. I know if this happened to me and somebody did that, I'd be a little irritated about it. But it says here that the master actually commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then Jesus goes on to commend the guy. And he says this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. And when I saw that word shrewd, I thought, well, that kind of sounds like a bad word. Jesus is telling us to be shrewd. But as I looked it up, the word shrewd means to be clever, discerning, to have keenness of discernment or sound judgment. These, to be shrewd means to really be sharp. It kind of sounds a little sneaky, but the way they do it. But if you're a shrewd negotiator, you're a sharp guy. And what Jesus is saying, that sadly, people without faith seem to be more sharp than people with faith. He says this, he says, so I tell you this, use worldly wealth to gain friends. That's what this guy did. He used worldly wealth to gain friends so that his buddies now would invite him into the house because they saved him all this money. He said, well, what you do, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, your worldly wealth, you mean, you mean my worldly wealth will be gone someday? Yep, soon as you die. I have never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. All right, you're not taking anything with you. So when it's gone, then what? You will be welcomed, welcomed he said, into eternal dwellings. Then he goes on to say, whosoever uh, can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, which is his point here, you've got to be trustworthy in handling money. If you're not trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, then who's going to trust you with true riches, Jesus says. And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who's going to give you your own property? And he goes on to say this, no servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot, Jesus said, serve both God and money. And the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering. (laughs) Now at first glance, it would appear that this manager was a sniveling little squirrel who had manipulated things for his own benefit and did it with money that was not his. Yet, Jesus commends this guy. Let's take a look at why. Look at verse 4 again. This is what the guy says to him. Says He says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here. See, he knew his job was coming to an end. He knew his job was coming to an end. He knew his time was temporary. And he acted. He made plans for the inevitable. You know, actually, it's rather surprising when you think that so many people spend all of their time dealing with the temporary and ignoring that which is eternal. We all have a date with eternity. I promise you, if you live long enough, someday you're going to die. (laughs) We're all going to check out of here. And there's no guarantees as to when. Could be tomorrow. You know, it's always sad whenever we have a funeral here and somebody very young passes on, you know, and you think, I'm sure they never thought in a million years that they would be losing their life. But no one's guaranteed anything. It is important that we don't spend all of our time focusing only on what is very temporary, but plan for what's inevitable. This guy was sharp, shrewd, because he planned for what he knew was coming. The losing of his job. Well then Jesus says in verse 9. Look at that again. He says, you know, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So you'll be welcomed into uh, eternal dwellings. So secondly, he praised this guy because he he planned and used the money to set himself up. Now, what he's trying to teach us is that in this life, we have the opportunity now to prepare for eternity. And there's lots of ways that you prepare for eternity. We think, well, it's all about praying and and spiritual things. But Jesus is actually teaching that you can use money to help prepare for eternity. Now, that is not to mean you can buy your way into heaven. You cannot. But as a believer who's already headed for heaven, you can use money to prepare your way coming in. Every once in a while, you know, you'll, you'll read one of these stories of someone who who dies briefly on an operating table or something and they they come back and, and, and they tell you the story of how they saw themselves in heaven and, and people were greeting them, you know, a grandma or something like that. And I've often thought, you know, who's going to greet me? Are people going to welcome me in? Will I have made a difference in lives that they will celebrate and say, here he is. Or am I just going to be waved at by the janitor on the way in? On the one hand, at least you got there. But our thinking isn't supposed to be just so we get there. A lot of people think, well, gee, all I want to do is just make sure I get into heaven. Quite frankly, if you think in those terms, I question if you're going to get there. You're supposed to have an attitude of building up treasures in heaven. Preparing for heaven. And Jesus says you can actually use money to prepare for what's coming. How do you do that? By investing in something other than yourself. By giving into the kingdom of God. By investing 
in your finances. Now we encourage people here to be faithful in their giving and to support the church and and stuff. But we're in the middle of this campaign called the uh, Imagine uh, campaign. And what it's all about is about taking some extra money over this next year and say, you know what, here's what I normally give, but I'm going to give a little extra here so that we can do something very specific. And in this year's campaign, we have three very specific areas that we're reaching out to in. Number one, we want to be able to improve on our facilities here in terms of our production uh, capabilities with our video and stuff. And we always appreciate what Phil and the guys do. I love that (laughs) thing this morning. But, you know, those cute little things take a lot of time. And uh, all the promotional things that we do. and, And then also because we're connecting to the campuses we've got the the, ca- the cafe on the other end of the building we have the the one in stevens point and what we need to do is be able to capture what we're doing from our facility here and share it with the other ones and more than just my preaching we also want to do the same thing with our youth ministry side uh, with our children's ministry side it's actually going to help us as we prepare to launch other campuses because now instead of having to put in a full-time senior pastor and a full-time children's pastor and a full-time youth pastor it's one of the things that makes it hard to build churches because I guess it's very difficult to do. And it becomes very expensive. And having to buy you know, nice church buildings and stuff. Well, with this new campus concept that is going all across the country. The largest churches in America today. Uh, the fastest growing churches in America today. Are all doing this. Because it's so much easier. And it's so, more, so much more uh, efficient. To just take a simple building. Fix it up. And uh, put a basic skeleton crew in there and then connect the ministries of the of the of the, of the broadcast campus with them and uh, and it's such an easier way to reach new people in different areas and there's so many people that that are aware of our church here they watch us on television and stuff but they're not like likely to drive all the way from Oshkosh or Appleton or Manitowoc sometimes they do but that's, that's hard for them so our idea is to take and put out these campuses so people can come and gather and the church can grow Pastor Lathan and I went down to one in uh uh, Oklahoma City, fascinating. What they do is they, they go in and rent pieces of old, old Walmarts that have shut down, and uh, because they build these super Walmarts, you know, they just sit there and rot. And uh, for for very little money, they take these sections and they set up all these campuses, and then they television in, uh, video in the messages and stuff like that. And it's one church, but just different locations. This church every Sunday morning, over twenty thousand people in that city are gathering and stuff for a fraction of the cost of what it would cost to build and staff a whole new every every place uh it, this is just a smarter way to do it and instead of investing you know tons of money in big facilities like this it just makes it more cost effective so the one thing we want to do is we want to strengthen that ability to duplicate ourselves effectively the second thing that we're going to do over this next year is we are going to start our first campus now we have Stevens Point and we have the cafe but the cafe is just on the other end of the building and Stevens Point was already in existence and they just connected with us this is the first time we will start from scratch and do one of these campuses and we're going to do one in Appleton now one of the big hindrances all the time is a facility the building and it's kind of a risk obviously for us to go and build a building or buy a building or uh, you know even do a a lease long term lease with a Walmart or something like that and fix that up So, but we thought, well, we're going to do it. And we were planning for the end of of next year. 
that we finally get something going in Appleton because that would give us time for some money to start coming in and we, we could secure something. But uh, we were contacted by a Lutheran church in Appleton who was hearing what we were doing. And uh, these people, wonderful people there. And uh, the pastor, uh, as, as a lady, she said, you know, we have services at uh, 8.30 and 10.30 in our Lutheran church. She says, we hear what you're doing. We're very excited about what you're doing. Just, that was amazing because she's not our church. But she says, what if we moved all of our services to 8.30 and then you guys could have the building at 10.30? And we thought, well, wouldn't that be cool, right? And, and then we're thinking, well, you know, how much is this going to cost us? So we're waiting for the hammer to fall. And they finally called and said, well, would, would $250 a week be too much? Uh, no, no, that would be fine. You know, you guys, you couldn't do jack for $250 a week. So because of this wonderful door that God has opened and those wonderful people down there, we are going to launch this Appleton campus uh, first part of the year. In fact, we'll probably start doing some meetings down there uh, uh, right in the beginning of January. And by uh, March, actually kick off probably a couple of weeks before Easter is what we're going to try and do and get everything organized down there. And uh, so here we go. So God is opening doors and that allows us to just move more quickly instead of having to save up a bunch of money first and do that. So that's our first campus. I would love to have a campus in Appleton and Oshkosh and Manitowoc and all over Kingdom come around here just spot, 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 and Wausau and just Rhineland, just everywhere, just the north part of Wisconsin and just break out like the hives, <laughs> you know, and just pop up all over the place. I mean, this is going to be exciting. I promise you, every time we do this, there will be people who will come to know Jesus who would never have done it if we hadn't done it. I promise you, every time we do it, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing to watch. Because we'll always relate to people that nobody else can relate to. And it's the same with others. It's not that we're the only church. Good heavens. We're not the only church. We're just one part of, of God's uh, overall church. But quite frankly, uh, every church in town could be doing this and it still wouldn't be enough. There's a lot of people out there who need to connect with Christ. And we need to be able to, and we relate to people in a certain bizarre way and everybody has their own approach. But uh, I'm telling you, this is going to be very exciting. So number one, improving what we do here so we can duplicate more easily. Number two, we're going for it and we're starting a campus uh, in Appleton in just a few months. And, uh, and then number three, the third thing that we're doing is we're, we're going to be reaching out to what is arguably the most unloved people in America today. The Hispanic community. Specifically, Hispanic immigrants. Both legal and illegal. Now, when you talk about Hispanics and those who are illegal or, or whatever, people get very passionate. And, uh, you know, a lot of people just... And they all have their political opinions and... and uh, People fall over the, all over the place. A lot of people think we should just grab them all and ship them back to wherever they came from, which is just as ridiculous of a notion as one can fathom. Of course, you see where I fall on the political spectrum. I agree with the president. We ought to make a way for these people to get legal. But to whatever you think is irrelevant. What we're talking about is reaching out to people with the love of God. Boy, you, you complain about the price of oil. You ship all these people back you watch what happens when you're paying $10 for a gallon of milk. And you can only afford steak four times a year. 
I'm telling you, this economy will go nuts. We only have a 4% unemployment problem in America. Virtually everybody who wants to work is working. This argument that they're taking jobs is ludicrous. You want those jobs? You want to go pick that fruit? You want to go do that stuff for those low wages? I don't think so. But whether you agree with me or not on that is not the point. The point is we need to reach out to these people who are in a position where nobody else is wanting to reach out to them. In fact, most people are wanting to criticize them and complain about them. And the good news is, you don't have to be a legal immigrant to go to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? In fact, you could be an absolute scumbag. Which is good for the rest of us sitting here, actually. I mean, thank God, you don't have to reach a certain standard before Jesus lets you in. The truth is, is he loves us at our worst. At our greatest sins. So we're going to be reaching out to these people. There's tens of thousands of them right here within uh, uh, the Green Bay area and all around Wisconsin. And I say we reach out and love them. And I'll tell you, if there's any group of people who should be compassionate and understanding of the plight of these immigrants, it's people from Wisconsin, particularly those of you of a German background. Let me give you a little history lesson. A hundred years ago, this country was being filled with immigrants from Germany and Poland. All right, a lot of them winding up here in Wisconsin. The reason is, is because the businesses needed the workers. It's still the reason why so many people come to this country. Business has always driven this. We have the fastest growing economy in the world and continue to have the fastest growing economy in the world. If there weren't the jobs, these people wouldn't be coming, I promise you. In my political opinion, which many of you, I understand, will disagree, our problem isn't that uh, these people are coming in. Our problem is that they're not letting people coming in legally fast enough. They wouldn't have to be crossing the borders. These people are coming in, these, these businesses are growing, and that's the way it was at the turn of the century. And they let immigrants in by the tons. And, and, and Milwaukee was virtually all German. Everybody in, 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 in uh, Milwaukee just about was all German. Uh, in fact, there were over 4,000 German schools in Milwaukee teaching them in German. Why didn't they learn English? In German, German newspapers, German radio, German everything. The Paps Theater. You remember the Paps Theater? They still have the Paps Theater today. It was put up for the sole purpose of doing German productions. And these people were into it big time. And uh, then something changed. World War I came along. And the dynamics started changing. And, uh, and all the German people in uh, uh, Milwaukee got together. And actually, I believe historically, it's still the largest gathering they ever had in Milwaukee to this date. Well, virtually everybody in the city showed up. And they raised all kinds of money for the war effort in World War I. You know who they were raising money for? The Germans. <laughs> They were sending money to the Kaiser and gang. This was before the United States jumped in. When the U.S. jumped in a year and a half later, you can imagine how unpopular the people in Milwaukee were. And they were freaking. A lot of hatred came at them. A lot of criticism came at them. A lot of bitterness came at them. By the end of World War I, they dropped from over 4,000 German-speaking schools to four. The Paps Theater finally after the war decided to open up again and do a German production some of the people in the town who didn't like the Germans rolled out a cannon 
a cannon. Talk about gun control problems. How you wind up with your own cannon, I do not know. But they rolled out a cannon and threatened to open fire if they did one German-speaking production. And from that time forward, they haven't done I don't know if they've done any in recent years, but it's, they stopped. Yeah, we learned English. Yeah, sure you did. Because of what happened. Otherwise, you'd be press one for English, press two for Spanish, press three for German. Some people say, well, maybe the answer is to go to war with Mexico. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you just need to understand. I mean, there's a lot of you guys, a lot of you are from this background. This is what your parents and grandparents went through. Then the country got so mad at them all, they shut down all the immigrants coming in from Europe altogether after World War I. Then businesses were freaking out. They had to get people from somewhere. So that's when businesses went down to the south and recruited all the blacks to come up and work. That's, where, that's how so many blacks entered into Milwaukee. Then, of course, the white guys who hated the Germans came in, and the Germans hated the blacks when they came in. And then when they couldn't get enough blacks, and they went to Mexico, started bringing in Mexicans, and then everybody hated the Mexicans. I mean, it's just one group after another. It's like, what is the deal here? You know, if anybody should be more tolerant, it's the ones who went through it. But people have very short memories. Have you noticed that in our country? You know, 9-11 already, people have forgotten. It's, it's amazing. Everybody forgets where they come from. What they, you know. Now, again, whether you agree with me or not is the point. The deal is this. These are people who Christ died for. And we're going to take a small portion of this thing. And, we're gonna, and it's not really that much money. But it's to do uh, some of the outreaches to them and the Spanish thing. In fact, right now, I don't know if some of you can hear some of those little radio things around the room here. But uh, um, they're translating into Spanish what I'm saying now to help them integrate into our congregation. We have people here listening to that this morning and we hope that we'll get even more as we reach out to them and love them and help them to integrate and to grow and hopefully to do the right thing, whatever that is in the end, when they really figure out all this stuff. But, uh, you know, look, it's easy to love people who do everything right. Jesus said there's no credit in that. Jesus said there's credit to love those who despitefully use you. Not just who use you. That would have been bad enough. It's those who despitefully use you and take advantage of you. Those are the people you should love the most. So it doesn't matter what, wherever anybody's from. We need to be reaching out. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's easy to love people who love you. Not so easy to love those who are really different from you. And I want us to do that. Finally, Jesus equated preparing for the inevitable with being trustworthy or faithful. We see it in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest in much and he says this so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth are you trustworthy with using the money God's given you if you can't be trustworthy with that even in the small area who's going to trust you with true riches what are true riches is true riches money it's not True riches, the things that people really want in their life. Health, blessings, strong families, strong relationships. These are the true riches. And people pray, God, give me these riches. Give me strong health and help my family and, and my kids and everything else. And, and, and Jesus is saying, man, if I can't trust you with you being faithful with the simple riches, why would I trust you with true riches? We need to be faithful. And we need to be consistent. Now, let me say this about being consistent. 
One of the uh, struggles that churches have virtually universally and, and ours does too is about consistent giving. Now we encourage people to tithe. We have this wonderful three month tithe challenge that's going out. But you know, I know some of you aren't going to do it anyway. An angel could drop down from heaven, spin around in technicolor here and tell you to tithe. He still wouldn't do it. I know, I get it. All right? And, and no one's going to have a cow about it and stuff. But whatever you do do, at a minimum, be faithful. Be consistent. Let's at least start there. But what happens is, if we have another Sunday where the Sunday gets canceled in February because of bad weather, you know, you would think the next Sunday we'd have double the offering. Right? That's what should happen so that we can continue growing. Because you're faithful in giving. Of course, that's not what happens. And now you're thousands of dollars behind. And then summer kicks in. And people go on vacations and stuff. Take off time with family. Which I don't have a problem with. I'm not one of these preachers who says, People got to be in church every Sunday. You're going to go to hell. All right? Now, I might tease you about that when I see you later. (laughs) But I'm just teasing. Okay, if you need time with your family, take time with your family. Do these things. But at a minimum, be faithful when you come back. Set aside what you normally give and then catch up when you come back. What happens in this, uh, this summer, we were probably went $150,000 in the red. Happens every summer in this church. And churches all America. Now, it depends, the mountain depends on how big the church is, but... So what do you do? You, you have a Sundays where you miss services and, and then you have summer kicking in and then the regular time comes in and you spend all this time digging out of the hole, out of the hole, out of the hole and you finally get even and then you start falling in the hole again. It's hard to advance the kingdom of God. So if you're a member of this church and you consider this church, remember, you know, giving is not, you know, like a uh, cover charge you know, to a club. It's not like a movie. You know, if you go to the movies, you pay. If you don't, great, I don't have to pay. You know, don't think like that. If you're not here and you're committed to this church, be faithful. God says be faithful with the little. If you'll be faithful with the little, God will trust you with much more. Why doesn't God trust me with much more? What we think is, God, help me win the lottery and I'll bless you. That's what everybody prays. God, help me win the lottery. If I can just win that $60 million, I'll give you an offering. Praise God. These are from prayers of people who give little to nothing and are inconsistent when they do. You think God's going to answer a prayer like that? <laughs> Not on your life. You can't be consistent with the little. How God's going to trust you with much? It starts in the little things. So let me encourage you. Just be faithful. And then number five, you know, don't, don't consume everything that you touch. You know, the Bible tells, tells us that God gives us seed to plant. And, and Paul was talking about this in giving. If you will plant, then you'll have a, re, a return. The good news is God gives you the seed. God gives you what you need to give back to him in faith. That's the neat thing. It's like if you're a farmer, say, here, go farm, and I'm going to give you the seed. And I'll give you the seed, but plant the seed. Okay? And then I come back in, in two months, and you ate all the seed. So where's the seed? Well, well I, made a, I made a sandwich. I made some, I made some you know, grits. I ground it up. It was, it was really good. Why, why didn't you plant it? Because I ate it. Give me some more. I don't give you any more. You'll eat it too. See what happens? God blesses us and then we eat everything we get. 
I can't get faster. Of course you can't. You ate everything. I'm not stupid. Not only do we eat anything, then we go borrow seed to eat that before we even get it. Because I got to have that big TV now. And I got to have other junk now, now. So our, our seed bag is empty and we're borrowing from seed bags of tomorrow. And, <laughs> and they say, well, I, I, I can't give. Well, of course you can't. But you're not going to be blessed. That's not being faithful. You think God's going to bless you? Reward you with true riches? Be consistent. Be faithful. Don't eat everything you touch. Man, a lot. I encourage people. You need to learn how to live on 80% of your income. You ought to save 10% and you ought to give away 10%. That's really the biblical model as far as I'm concerned. It's a wise model. But we don't do that. We live on 110% and save nothing. Savings in America is at a critical low. Do you know that most people in America are like two paychecks away from being homeless? Most people, that would probably be most of you, a few paychecks away from being totally homeless. We save nothing. We give little to nothing. We save little to nothing because we are consuming at such a rate, eating everything we touch. We're like locusts. Pac-Man. And then if we get the blue light special, we taste the little ghosts that turn blue. Gotta eat that blue ghost. I'll save ten dollars. Save big money. Not sure how we save money by going blowing everything we have. I don't know. I saved a hundred dollars. Really? How much did it cost you? Two thousand. Ultimately, Jesus said, verse thirteen: Nobody can serve two masters. You'll love the one, you'll hate the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And I love this next verse: The Pharisees who loved money, heard all this and sneered at him. There's one thing that gets people hacked off is what I'm talking about right now. It just irritates the dickens out of them. You know, and they make things, you know, Christians, all you ever talk about is money. Of course, if you're a visitor this morning, that would be true for you. I went to that church, all they talked about was money. (laughs) Sorry, that's the day you showed up. But we don't only talk about money here. I hardly ever talk about money. How many know I hardly ever talk about money? I just just don't do it. All right? But you need, I got to teach you all these principles so you can start being blessed. I'm not helping you by not touching something or touching something that people are going to go, you know, get all sneery at me. If you sneer at me, I'll just sneer back. I have a sneer fest. You can't serve both God and money. The tighter you hang on to it, the more you sneer. I'm going to ask the ushers to come up. Get ready to serve communion. And our uh, musicians get ready to have our little time of worship at the end here. You know, the Bible says this. You were bought at a great cost. We were purchased at a great cost. If there's one thing we should have learned from God is that he is willing to give the ultimate for you and for me. He didn't give money. He gave his very... It would have been easy. God has all the money in the universe. What could God give that would cost him anything? He gave himself. Jesus came, lived among us, and died a cruel death on the cross so that he could rescue us out of sin. And by the way, 
It's being rescued out of the sin. Jesus died so he could pull us out of the sin and destruction. Not so we could still sit in it. Okay? A lot of people, have you been saved? Yes, I am. But you're still standing in the old gunk. You know, saved means it gets pulled out of the gunk. Okay, well, but I, but I prayed the prayer. Well, it's not just about praying a prayer. This isn't magic. This isn't voodoo. I'm not going to sprinkle you with pixie dust. You've got to make a decision. I am going to let God pull me out of the mess I'm in. I'm going to start leading a different life. I'm going to turn my back on the things that are wrong. And I choose to start doing what's right. And I'm going to put my hope and my trust in Christ. Repent. Believe. And then you'll be saved. Not just, well, I believe. But I just keep doing whatever I want to do. You need to repent. Turn turn away from stuff. Do the right thing. And that's when you can start truly experiencing this wonderful life of faith. This rocks. I love this stuff. I'd rather serve Jesus than chew tobacco. I'd rather serve Jesus than be in the best hospital in town. (laughs) I'd rather be here than the best jail in America. I love this stuff. I'd rather be here than anywhere. I love this stuff. It's wonderful. Man... I remember what it was like before I came to know Christ. It's an icky thing to just be out there on your own. It just is. People spend their whole lives just everything is about them and what they can do. And they struggle through life on their own energy. What a drag. What's great is I can go through life now and face problems just like everybody else. But I have God's energy in me now. God answers my prayers. Things happen for me. It's called faith. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'd like us all to bow our heads before we take communion this morning. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him? If you're willing to turn away from what's wrong in your life and put your faith in Jesus, you can take the first steps today in having a life of faith, of truly experiencing God in your life. Let's pray this prayer together. If you'll mean this from the bottom of your heart, you can start that walk today. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much, you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.